Last Sunday morning, we began a new series looking at what it means to be a kingdom people. And we looked at what it, our great principle from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Our great principle as kingdom people is that we will seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, and we will trust him for everything else. This morning, I want to take a little while to look, at, to look with you at this simple question. As kingdom people, what is our great passion? What drives us? What gets us out of bed in the morning? What excites us? What inspires us? What keeps us going when life is hard and we want to give up? If you've got a Bible, could you please open it or turn it on to Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to read from verses 34 down to verse 40. That's Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 down to verse 40. I can hear pages turning. That's always a good sign. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. And now, in the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Does anybody know where that came from? Was anybody watching the TV yesterday? A certain wedding, two uh, middle-aged people pretending to be young. In Windsor, Bishop Michael Curry. Anybody watch his sermon? There's a man that knows how to speak, isn't he? Did you see how uncomfortable the British aristocracy were? <laughs> that moment when the Countess of Wessex kind of... <laughs> and when the, the, the Duchess of um, Cambridge turned and looked at the Duchess of Cornwall who had put her hat down and didn't know whether to look right or left. It was one of those moments where you thank God for a hat. <laughs> that was his opening line at the, at the, at the service yesterday morning. He quoted from Song of Songs, and there's been a lot of things said about his sermon. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. He's Marmite. I'm not sure all of those that were crowded into St. George's Chapel expected to hear what they heard. Now, this is the controversial bit, and I'm aware that we're going out across um, uh, social media, and those of you that are part of this church, let me just say, you will need to get used to the fact that you're going to get criticized because I'm your pastor because I get criticized every week. I get emails, I get death threats. I get all kinds of things from folk that listen to what I um, say. And I'm afraid that that's gonna come with the territory for you. And I hope you can pray for me and put up with it because there's nothing I can do about it unless we choose not to let other people hear the gospel and we believe it's important that they hear it, amen? Yeah. I thought what 
Bishop Michael Curry said yesterday was fantastic, but I don't think it was the gospel. I think where he rooted what he said was in the end, in love that we can generate for one another. Now, of course, he's clearly and definitely mentioned the love of God, the unconditional love of God in Jesus Christ. In fact, let me quote one section of it for you. And then in Matthew's version, he added, he said on these two, the love of God and love of neighbor hang all the law. I'm glad that he used the same text as I had intended to use for you this morning. All the prophets, everything that Moses wrote, everything in the holy prophets, everything in the scriptures, everything that God has been trying to tell the world, love God, love your neighbors, and while you're at it, love yourself. Someone once said, still Bishop Michael, that Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in human history, a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world, and a movement mandating people to live and love in so doing, to change not only their lives, but the very life of the world itself. I'm talking about some power, real power, power to change the world. But at no point did he say, and that power comes to us through a cross. At no point did he say, actually, you'll end up disappointed if you try to love the world in your own strength because you'll run out of energy. And to tell people to love one another without telling them the greatest secret of all, that God's love for us is available to all of us, is like promising someone a million pounds but not giving them the code to the bank. I want to talk to you this morning about the great passion behind why I am a Christian, why I am a pastor, why this church exists, what God has called his people to do. And in so many ways, what we saw yesterday was powerful and beautiful and expensive. Except if you were a guest invited from the public. I had two or three friends that were at the wedding yesterday. And they had to bring their own lunch. (laughs) That's true. All those people that were invited didn't even get a sandwich. Imagine my daughter getting married and me inviting you all and saying, but bring your own lunch. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, that's another story. What we saw yesterday was beautiful. And the challenge to love one another in a society that so often hates one another is so right, isn't it? And the energy and the passion and the, the, the verve and the love with which it was said was amazing and moving and challenging. But there is a deeper love that motivates us. Not just a love that we can dig into our own human resources for, but a love that flows from God himself. Which is why when Jesus was asked by a group of Pharisees, What's the greatest law? He didn't respond by saying, well, obey the Decalogue and do this and do that and attend synagogue and do this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. He said, here's the thing that holds life together. Love God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul or heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Taken, of course, as you will well know, from both Deuteronomy chapter um, 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. A love that can genuinely change the world. Last Sunday morning, I talked about us being kingdom people, putting God's kingdom above Elam, putting God's purposes above our own, putting God's reputation above our reputation, putting what was right for the kingdom above what might be right for this little community, which is part of the kingdom. And all of you said amen and hallelujah. But this morning, the passion behind that is not going to come from an energy that you can find in yourself. It's going to come from God. From God's love for us, 
flowing into us and through us and out to other people. We are far too often known for what we stand against. Walk onto Belfast High Street, go to Corn Market, walk down Ann Street, walk down Royal Avenue and stop the first 20 people you meet and say, what does the church stand for? And I can almost guarantee you that they'll give you a list of things that we stand against. Particularly here in Northern Ireland. We've become known as the people that don't like this and don't like that and don't like that and don't like that. When actually we are first the people who love God and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I often wonder how we would have coped had God decided to enact the message of the prophet Amos on this island. Amos was a southerner sent to the north to challenge them about their sin. And he challenged all the nations around them first and eventually got to them. How would we feel if God was to do that? What does it mean to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength? And it isn't the only place in which the Bible tells us that this is important. I want you to turn to a couple of other places with me just to help you understand this. First of all, the book of Romans, Paul's great work that explores salvation and the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Chapter 13, I'd love to hear the pages flick. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now go to the book of Galatians. Paul's great letter about freedom and liberty and the difference between grace and legalism and standing in the grace that God has for us. Chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now go to the letter written by the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of James. Just after the book of Hebrews, in case you don't know where to find it. James chapter 2, verse 8. You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor. As yourself. Was Bishop Michael right yesterday when he said that love can change the world? Yes. But the roots of the love that changes the world are deeply embedded in God and in his character and in what he has done for us. You could be left thinking, well, if I try a little harder, I could love God more. If I make a little bit more effort, I could love him more. And then I'll be rooted in the great commandment of Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, which is also repeated for those of you that are interested in Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. But you see, when you study these words, and I just need to take a few minutes. I'm not going to do this every week, but I want to do it with you today. When you study what the actual words were that were used to describe this kind of love, you realize that Jesus is pointing to a love that cannot be rooted in us. 
Because the Greek word that he uses here for love, he uses very rarely. And many of you will know it. It's the word agape. So when he says, love the Lord your God, the words that he uses in Greek are very important. It is unconditionally, wholeheartedly, with everything that you have, unstintingly and unwaveringly, love the Lord, curios, the one who is sovereign over you, the one who owns you, controls you, commands you, and determines your destiny, who is your God. Anybody listening to that would immediately say, I beg your pardon, how do I do that? Which of you, which of us, can say that we love God that way. Honestly. I can't. But it is the desire of my heart to love him like that. I want him to have everything. I want him to be at the center. I want him to be the beating heart of my life. I want him to be the first thing I think of when I get up in the morning and the last thing I think of when I go to bed at night. Don't you? I want him to occupy such a place in my imagination that he pushes out everything else. You know, there's an old story told, I'm sure you've heard it, that in the, uh, a mint in the United States of America, when they're teaching people how to identify frauds, fake money, they ignore the fake money. They teach them to be so familiar with the real thing that they know a fraud the minute they touch it. Here's the love that will change the world. The unconditional, unmerited, ever-flowing, life-giving, grace-giving, transforming, politics-changing, community-changing, family-redeeming, individual-rescuing, sin-forgiving, body-healing love of Jesus Christ that flows from Calvary's cross. The only thing that will change Northern Ireland is that love. The only thing that can change the Republic of Ireland is that love. The only thing that can change Europe is that love. Now, we would be in a sticky wicket if we thought it wasn't readily available. But the story of this love within Scripture is so powerful, so personal, and so purposeful that it, it brings life into us. It's readily available. No one here or listening online needs to leave the service or leave this meeting thinking that love is for someone else. Brother, sister, this love is for you. And you might say, well, I know that I'm a Christian. We must discover it again and again every day of our lives. We must learn to live in this abundant love, learn to let it shape us, learn to let it transform us. I love being a pastor. It's such a cool job. I wouldn't stoop to be prime minister. I get to speak into people's lives at some of the most important moments. Dedications, weddings, funerals, crises, decision-making. I get to talk to people that are chief executives and nurses and doctors and teachers and businessmen, people that sell IT equipment and num even number plates. I get to speak to so many different people in so many different aspects of life. And as a pastor, I get to see what they're going through day in and day out. And it utterly amazes me that some people keep going. If I looked around this room today, if I looked at you watching online and just told some of your stories, the rest of the room would fall quiet because you're still here. You haven't given up. You haven't walked away. You haven't thrown in the towel and God hasn't finished with you yet. There's enough resource in his love to address what you're facing this morning. 
that wayward teenager, that husband that seems to be playing around, that wife that isn't listening, that relationship that isn't working, that problem that is right in front of you. The love of God is big enough to encompass you and hold you and carry you. That loved one that is sick and you would give your own life to see them better. The love of God is present with you in all situations and in all circumstances. And it's only that love flowing through a little church like Dundonald Elam that can make a lasting difference. We could run a thousand programs. We could run every single kind of youth work, children's work, adult training program, worship seminar, teaching. We could be packed Monday to Saturday from 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning to 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning with 24 hours a day, seven days a week, stuff happening in this church building all over the place and not be changing anything. Because what we need more than anything else is the love of God to flow through us, his grace and his mercy. But imagine what could happen if God's love isn't just designed to flow in a gathering. I have to say, having been here a couple of weeks now, you can sing. Does anybody else, when we sing, sense the presence of God? Or is it just me? I stand in here and I think, I think I could stay here all week. Listening to these voices rising around me, seeing all the generations that are sitting in front of me, seeing the huge potential that God has entrusted us with. And I think, what is God going to do with us? It's a space not to be missed, isn't it? But then multiply that out, because what if God doesn't want to just demonstrate his love in a meeting, but he's interested in demonstrating it in a garden center, in a business, in a home, in a school, in a hospital, in a family? What if what he wants to do is flow through you into your road and your street and your community and our gathering is actually only about you being inspired to keep blazing out his love where you are? What if Sunday isn't the center of the universe? Don't tell anybody I said that. What if your calling as a grandparent, as a carer, at Strand Millis, at Queen's, I've been getting to know some of you by reading stuff about you as a PhD student studying cancer research. What if that's what God wants you to do with your life? Developing properties and selling them on. Looking after children in a school, teaching them PE or biology or geography or English. What if God is interested in his love flowing through you everywhere you are and in everything you do? And actually, when we gather, it's about reminding each other of that. Looking each other in the eye and saying, um, Campbell, God hasn't abandoned you. He still loves you. He's still able to use you. Malcolm, God hasn't abandoned you. He still loves you. He still has a purpose for you. Surrender your life to him afresh and let his grace and his love and his mercy flow through you. And when we gather, we tell the stories of what God has been doing in our hearts and in our lives. Then it's not so much the professionals standing on the stage that are the center of the church. It's Jesus who's the center of the church. And all of us are ministers of the gospel. Whether we sing it, speak it, share it, we work it out in our lives and we say we will give the very best of who we are to his purposes. Loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul is a challenge. The word used for all is the Greek word holos. 
And it means completely, utterly, everything you are from the inside out. If you want it put in a, a way that is perhaps a paraphrase, here's what it is. Love God with integrity. Love God as much on the inside of your life as you do on the outside of your life. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. From the expensive seats at the top where you can rattle your jewelry if I'm going too long to the cheap seats at the front where you're within spitting distance, literally, God help you. <laughs> Who are you when the lights are out? When nobody else sees. When nobody else would know. Is the love of God pulsating through your heart at that moment? Or would you turn your head away from him in shame? If I got your kids up, those of you that have children, and I stood them on the stage here and said, tell us what your dad's like, would they say, he's exactly the same as you see him on a Sunday? Or would they say, actually, I'm afraid of him? If, they said, if I said, tell us what your mum is like, the people that know you most, the people that are closest to you, if I got them to tell me what you were like, what would they say? How quickly would you sit in the room? And how quickly would you seek to leave? If you've ever done an Alpha course, you will know this story. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the um, Sherlock Holmes books, once wrote a letter to 10 of his friends. Um, he was playing a joke with them at the end of the 19th century. And here's what he said on the letter, flee, all is discovered. He didn't know anything about their private lives. He just said, flee, all is discovered. Within 24 hours, all 10 of them had left England. <laughs> so what if I had a magic marker and a very long hand, and I wrote up there, the way you love God in the dark. Gosh, it's gone quiet. I think we could all readily acknowledge there's room for improvement in each of our lives, don't you? I can acknowledge that there's a lot of room for improvement in my life. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The Greek word for heart is cardia, and it means feeling, impulse, affection, desire. The Greek word for soul is suche, and it means personhood, life, identity, your true self. The Greek word for mind is dionia, and it means your thinking, your understanding, and your choices. Love God with all of your feelings, impulses, affections, desires, personhood, life, identity, your true self, your thinking, your understanding, your choices. Whoa, that's quite big, don't you think? And impossible in our own strength. And it involves saying no to things and saying yes to things and making right choices. I heard somebody say something this week which I thought was incredibly profound. Sometimes you, as a pastor, you've got to ask people to say no to something. And they say, well, I want it. But if I could help you understand that saying no to something now was because you were saying yes to something better in eternity, would it help? I'm going to say no to living outside God's instructions around sexual freedom. Because I'm saying yes to a better eternity. I'm saying no to greed because I'm saying yes to a better understanding of what it means to be alive.
I'm saying no to climbing some kind of slippery pole because I'm saying yes to a better picture of society. I'm saying yes to what God has for me. And in order to say yes to that, there are some things I'm going to say no to now. So of course we have no's in the Christian community, but not because we're killjoys, it's because we are joy embracers. Because we know what real life and real joy and real hope and real love looks like. This is the first and the greatest commandment, the first in priority, the greatest, the most important, the central one, the thing that nothing else can replace. And out of it flows loving our neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Is there a boundary fence that you can set around yourself and say, well, they're my neighbor, they're not? It strikes me that in the Bible, Jesus has commanded us to love three different kinds of people. He's commanded us to love our neighbors, to love our friends, and to love our enemies. Who's excluded from those three groups? No one. A five-year-old in Arrows can understand that. No one's excluded from that command. And a ram at home in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, Jesus told the story of a good Samaritan who helped a Jewish man and by so doing, he chose the Jews' arch enemy and used them as an illustration of how far this love can go. I find it difficult to love people sometimes that have hurt others, not so much those that have hurt me, but when they hurt those I love, I find it hard to love back. I think I feel in that sometimes. I think I want to wrap my arms around the family that I love or the people that I love. As a pastor, I can be a bit like an Irish tiger, whatever that would look like. I could say whatever, when the doors are closed, we can say whatever we need to to each other. But if somebody starts pulling us apart from outside of the church family, I think that must be just a Northern Ireland trait, you know. Having come from Rathcool, we are, I was the youngest of seven. We could pull each other apart all day long. But if our neighbor said something about us, then we're finished. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself is about seeing things through their lens. It's about going the extra mile. It's about kindness. And the love that Jesus is talking about in this passage always looks like something. Who are our neighbors in Dundonald or in Cumber or in Newton Arts or in Belfast? They are those people that we meet every day. Those people that we work with, we study with, we pass by, we live next door to. The people that we share this island with are our neighbors. At the end of the 1990s, that document, A Shared Future, written by the Office of the First Minister and the Office of the Deputy First Minister, laid a very clear challenge at the feet of you and me as people from Northern Ireland. And it was this. This island has a shared future, whether you like it or not, because we all live on the same island. 
And we can either choose to ignore it and live in benign apartheid, where we keep ourselves separate from one another and never say anything about it, or we can choose to embrace the fact that we want to hold on to whatever identity is important to us and at the same time share this island. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking neighborliness. I don't know about you. I don't know about those joining online, but I have been really concerned over the last couple of weeks and months about the rise in those moments of violence that those of us that remember pre-1998 whisper in our heads, please God, not again. One of the great things about coming back to this uh, lovely, lovely country after 32 years away is there's a whole swathe of people here. And if I said, can you remember having to go into Marks and Spencer's in Belfast and get searched? They're like, what? <laughs> but too many of us can remember never going into Belfast when it was a ghost town, when the bus had to go through the army checkpoint and you had to open your bag. The first time my wife came with me to Northern Ireland, by the way, we were going through the army checkpoint in Belfast at Royal Avenue. And uh, the soldier said to, my, to Debbie, can I look in your bag? She said, no. <laughs> She said to me, why does he want to look at my bag? I said, Debbie, it's what happens here. None of us want to go back to those days. We don't want to return to a place where we teach our children that our neighbors are our enemies. Do we? There has to be a better way. And what if the Christian community has a vital role in it? What if Donald Elam has a vital role in that? I want you to imagine a year from now. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it might. It might. One Saturday, maybe the bank, bank holiday Saturday or something. And at the center of Dundonald, there's a huge community festival to celebrate all that is good about this town. All the men and the women and the young people that contribute to the life of it. And we celebrate it through music and song and dance and barbecues and a real story of hope and joy and optimism. And imagine what that would look like if the beating heart of it was a church like Dundonald Elam. A church with the gospel in our hearts. A church with a vision to serve our community. With a vision to serve our uh, city. With a vision to serve our neighbors. That says loud and clear, we just want to love you. We want to bless you. And we love you enough to tell you the truth. We love you enough to share the gospel with you. We love you enough to live out our faith in front of you. At work and in our private places. We'll never do that if we don't grasp how much God loves us. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Broken people break people. Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize how much he is for you and not against you? On this day, Sunday, the 20th of May, across the world, the church is celebrating something called Pentecost. It's the day in the book of Acts recorded in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. And you know, here in this church, this Pentecostal church, we believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. How do you love like this? How do you love God like this? How do you love your neighbor like this? How do you love yourself like this? The only way that you can is by the continual abiding, remaining presence of the Holy Spirit. Him living in you and giving you all the grace and all the strength and all the power that you need to love. You continually, like me, returning to him and saying, fill me again, Lord. Fill me again. Fill me again. Let your love flow through me. There's a portion in the book of Corinthians where Paul describes 
those that he's writing to as cracked pots. Not crackpots. <laughs> cracked pots. So that the water can leak out of them. The light can shine out of the inside of them. Let me give you a modern day equivalent. And it's going to sound weird, but it is actually biblically very accurate. You are not a bucket. You are a drain pipe. Turn to the person beside you and say, you're a drain pipe. Here's what I mean by that. The Holy Spirit brings an assurance of salvation to those that are born again. He brings a love of truth. He convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He challenges our wrong behavior. He gives us gifts. He teaches us to worship and praise. He gives us clearer understanding of God's word. There are dozens of things that he does. He reminds us that we are in God's family. He gives us a sense of adoption. They're all theological ideas. But beyond and within all of that, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, when he spoke to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, he said, stay in Jerusalem until you have received power from on high and you will be my witnesses. I get a lot of questions about what it means to be Pentecostal. An awful lot of people now think that to be Pentecostal means that you speak in tongues. That's nonsense. That's not what it means to be Pentecostal. To be Pentecostal means that you have to have this experience or this experience or this experience. Biblically, that's not true. To be someone who believes in the power of the Spirit is to believe that without Him we can do nothing. That we need His presence and His power in our lives so that we can be effective witnesses, so that we can love one another, so that we can worship, so that we can understand the Bible, so that we can read, so that fruit can be grown in our lives, so that gifts can be used. In other words, I can't do this great passion of loving God and loving you and loving others without the Spirit's help. So what I have to do on this Pentecost Sunday, and it's what I'm going to do and I'm going to ask you to do with me in a moment, is stand before God and reach out my hands to him and say, Lord, would you fill me with your power again? Let me be a drain pipe for you. Let your grace and life and love and mercy flow through me, not just on a Sunday morning, but standing in front of the classroom on Monday morning with my grandchildren, with my people that I'm caring for, with my neighbors and with my friends. God's love really can change the world. But it's his love that does it. Our great passion is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts through Jesus Christ. May he fill you again with love and grace and mercy. Amen.